this is Got Marketing, a fad-free, fluff-free, no-nonsense podcast for marketers looking to work smarter. I'm your host, Mia Feilman, a marketing strategist with over two decades of experience and an entrepreneur. I'm tired of marketers telling you what you want to hear. Instead, I tell you what you need to hear. During the show, I chat with creatives and strategists about all the aspects of marketing, but especially marketing campaigns. Unpacking and dissecting marketing campaigns is what I do for fun. Got Marketing is brought to you by Campaign Del Mar, the marketing education platform where marketers and entrepreneurs go to upskill. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Got Marketing Podcast. I have invited back the very first guest on the Got Marketing Podcast, Melissa Packham, who is a brand and marketing strategist from brand-led business to share the virtual microphone with me today. And we are going to be talking about greenwashing, which I know I say this about every episode, but this is going to be very, very juicy. So welcome back to the show, Mel. Thank you so much for having me, Mia. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to get into this. Like you said, super juicy. I'm so pumped. Amazing. So good. So what is greenwashing, Melissa? (laughs) Greenwashing, hey, it's happening all around us all the time at the moment, but it's basically the misrepresentation of your green credentials or sustainability credentials. And there's a lot of claims around it being potentially unintentional or sometimes it is intentional. Spoiler alert, it's never okay. (laughs) So yeah, to misrepresent is unethical. So there's a lot of that happening around at the moment. So everyone wants to jump on this green bandwagon because it is so important. I mean, it swung our election. Like Mm -hmm. this was finally a climate change election. So I understand from a brand's perspective that every brand wants to be seen to be part of positive change. But as we will unpack today, some brands should not be playing in this space at all before they go and take a good hard look at their credentials to begin with. Absolutely. Yeah. Just really, there's an element of transparency there and we're all on a journey. We all have to be and should be on this journey, but there's a time and a place in terms of the appropriateness of green messaging. And certainly there are some brands that can do it and some brands that absolutely should not yet. (laughs) Okay, so what are some of the major challenges that this presents to brands and also marketers within those brands? Yeah, I think the big thing is like this is an unprecedented global challenge that we are facing. No one in the world has faced a challenge of this scale. So everyone's sort of running around figuring out what to do, how to measure, how to talk about it, what that whole picture looks like. And some are still doing the head in the sand thing. So there's there's that angle as well. <laughs> problem aware, but not problem taking action. So that's a problem. From a marketing perspective, I think the challenge is we as marketers and brand custodians want to talk about the good things our brands are doing. And so it is 
natural in us to want to tell, go and tell those good stories. But the challenge is really understanding the total picture. And I think from what I can see that brands are doing or not doing, there's a lack of understanding around how the total business works. And there's a lack of understanding about what sustainability actually means or what is an appropriate message to be sharing and what else needs to be shared. So that sharing the news or omitting something, that's sort of the challenge that we talked about in ethical marketing. It's the same idea. What do you omit and how important is that to the full picture? Yeah. Okay. So shameless plug for ethical marketing and the gurus. If you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go and do that. Cause that one went off like a frog in a sock, um, but, but this one will too. So I'm, I'm going to be devil's advocate here, obviously, because I think that that's going to make for a better discussion. So what you're saying is that a brand has to do everything right before they can talk about some of the things that they're doing, like if they're moving in the right direction with climate change and with changes, can they not say anything that's positive for fear of retribute or for being taken down by the PC warriors? Yeah, I think there's two things in there. The PC warriors are always going to be on onto it. So that there's always going to be that. That's just part of any messaging that is controversial in any way, that's going to happen. So that's part one. In terms of whether brands can can talk about anything that they're doing, all those small steps that are important and everyone should be taking small steps, no, I don't think they have to wait until there's a perfect, there is no perfect solution here. We don't know what the perfect solution is. No one knows really. Unless you're going to go and get credentials in climate science, it's going to be impossible for marketers to, to know this is the time to talk about these credentials. I encourage brands to be talking about the small steps that they're taking, but they have to talk about them in the context of the total strategy for delivering sustainable a sustainable operation. So it's not just, hey, we're now in biodegradable packaging. That's not enough. That is a small piece of the puzzle for becoming sustainable, carbon neutral, and then on the path to net zero. There's, there's a spectrum. So I think absolutely brands should be talking about what they're doing don't do it if it's a single claim. It's not about a marketing claim. It has to be about we're on a sustainability journey. We've put the thought and effort into preparing what that sustainability journey looks like and what those steps are. And here's where we are at the moment on that journey. Yeah. So what's what can be like a good yardstick then for what to say and what not to say? Is this around what we were talking about before we went to air, which was maybe what brands need to do is ask themselves, what message does this send? And make that as a barometer for like, okay, is this potentially misleading people into believing that we are a lot more green than we are actually what is happening behind the scenes? Is this sending an accurate, transparent and honest message about our business. Yeah, absolutely. Just like any other marketing claim, I think it should be handled with that same, if not, it's kind of more important because if we're out there as brands sending the message that we are more green than what we actually are, it misleads consumers into thinking that progress is further ahead than what it should be, or it creates a false sense of security in a way. And it means that 
oh, it's okay. The brands that I buy are green because they tell me that they're green and therefore I don't need to worry about hassling my politicians and I don't need to worry about, you know, engaging in community recycling and composting programs and things like that. You know, the trade-off becomes a little blurry there in terms of what consumer action needs to happen. And it's important that we have a balance in society more broadly, getting on the old soapbox here, (laughs) about there's community action, there's individual action, there's brand and government action. All of those things need to come into play. So when brands are misrepresenting what their credentials actually are, it's damaging because it means it could potentially hamper actual meaningful progress. Oh my goodness, that is such a good point around the fact that it's giving us a false sense of hope that we're getting this right. And oh, but look, Mercedes Benz is so green. (laughs) Yes, I I didn't even think about that, that it's really, there is a climate emergency that requires action now. And this is all just lulling us into a, no, no, she'll be right, mate. Yeah. yeah. Look at, look how good we're doing. We're doing great. Everything's fine. Everything is fine. It's that meme of the, you know, the dog sitting, having a coffee with the fire burning all around him. Well, everything is fine. It's not fine. And it's not fine for brands to, to pretend that it is or pretend that they're further ahead on their journey than they are. I think now's the time just like break down those barriers stop trying to pretend and oversell and over bloat and this is the whole point of the problem we have exceeded our capacity so stop doing that and start taking positive action and being transparent about it so true okay so we're going to do something that we don't often do on this show that I actually don't often do at all, which is a bit of naming and shame. (laughs) However, I want to caveat this by saying that we are going to talk about the marketing. We are not talking about these brands or individuals. We won't won't be talking about any any individuals, but Mm -hmm. this is about the crap marketing Mm. and the marketing. And we're doing this so that we can illustrate examples of brands that could do better and brands that are doing it well so that we can learn from this. And this is very much illustrative. And so that's what we're going to do. (laughs) Keyboard warriors, calm down. Just chill. chill. (laughs) We talk about examples and case studies a lot on this show. And for the first time, we're going to share some not so great examples so that we can all learn how to do better. All right. So let's start with brands who are doing well in this space, some really great examples so that people can look to them and learn from and use that as a bit of a playbook. Yeah, great. So one of my new favorites, because my husband has become obsessed with them, is a fashion, Australian fashion brand called Citizen Wolf. They're basically turning sustainability into a competitive advantage, which I think is really interesting. So they're using sustainability to deliver excellent customer value. So it's a custom made, just basic t-shirts. They are made to fit. So you get your measurements and then send them away. They create them using locally sourced materials. They use local labor, uh, employees rather. It's not slave labor. They're well paid. The whole process is considered and intentional. 
You get the shirts which hopefully fit you because they've been made to fit. If they happen not to fit, there's a recycling program, so the end-of-life program, so that they can retain that, use, repurpose that into other things. So any bits of scrap are turned into things like scarves or smaller fabric items, those kind of things. So there's this full cycle, which I think is really lovely, and it's competitive advantage because it allows them to maintain that supply chain, manage that a little bit tighter, and just deliver excellent customer value. And I think that's the key thing is that it's such a great experience. It keeps people coming back. My husband, as one, is just talking about it all the time so and wearing them all the time. And it's it's just a new favorite. So I think, I think that's a really great example of a full cycle considered in the process of manufacture and delivery of their products, as well as delivering exceptional customer experience. Yeah. And it's a really good example because it's baked into the business model. This is not an afterthought, like a bolt on, like, oh, let's jump on this bandwagon. Let's culture jack this. This is the mission that they set out, that their whole business is built on this. And so one of my favorite examples is Zeroco. I am a huge fan of everything that Mike Smith does, mostly that he runs campaigns for his marketing, (laughs) but also that he (laughs) fishes out a lot of plastic bottles and rubbish from the ocean. But yeah, it is so clever that he has thought about everything. And this is a hard sell, which is that they want you to store your refillable pouches at home until you get enough of them and then post them back where they are washed, sanitized and reused. And People are all over it. Like, you know, Zero Co is now in 60,000 households and this is only in the last 18 months have they achieved this kind of incredible success for commodity products, something mm. that you go to Woolworths and you walk away with an OMO and you don't think about it at all. Mm-hmm. And it is just such a low involvement purchase decision and they have made us think about even those commodity products in such a profound way and because we use so much of it in Australia like it is really those aisles of the supermarket that are personal care and cleaning products that we use so often and there is so much single-use plastic in there so that's a brand that I sort of tip my hat to in terms of doing this really well and again baked completely into their mission and I think what they do really well with their marketing is they raise those objections and they offset them. So there's a lot of questions about like, well, if I'm sending you back my refillable pouches, what is the footprint of that? Because that is actually not particularly sustainable, but then they actually are like, no, 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 we've thought about that. We've done Mm. the maths and it's actually really good compared Mm. to you just throwing out Omos and morning freshers day after day after day. Yeah. A couple of things that those penetration gains in such a short amount of time would have the big brands running scared, I'm sure. So that says that consumers are willing to change their behavior and possibly pay more and like significant behavior changes. It's not just buying a different brand. It's actually engaging in the in the product in a completely new way, which is really optimistic. Like, that gives me hope that people are willing to change. It also hints to 
the idea of these scope one, scope two, scope three emissions. So the emissions that you as a business are directly responsible for, those that you are sort of on the peripheral of your business and those that are further down the supply chain. So that's another key thing that I think a lot of brands are missing a little bit at the moment is that it's not just what you are directly producing that matters, it's the whole flow and effect. And so brands like Zero Co and brands like Citizen Wolf have solved the end of cycle piece of the puzzle which is out of their hands, it's out of their control. It's kind of like the Australian government now, great, we've got some legislation that's actually going to take action, but they're still talking about opening new coal and gas because their responsibility is not with them on what happens with the product at the end. That's kind of the argument that's happening. That's not okay. That's not a holistic, sustainable view of what should be happening. And I think brands can learn from that as well. Totally. One of the brilliant things that I think Zerico have done, I'm a bit of a packaging enthusiast. Like I love <laughs> packaging. Like I love going, as soon as I land in a new country, first thing I do is go to the supermarket. Supermarket, and obviously. At, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Total marketing nerd. Just yes. love, love, love packaging. And Mike Smith has talked about this the founder of Zerico, about how he created packaging that people would want to keep so that these bottles, they're so beautiful and like, and you want the whole collection. Like I know that sounds terrible and so very (laughs) consumeristic, but you do, you want all these beautiful colors in the collection. And so that's so well thought out that he's appealing to our left brain and our right brain that wants to do good, but also the fact that we do want to feather our nest and we want to make our house look good and we don't want to have ugly bottles just sitting everywhere. And so I think that is just insanely clever. That's full Maslow's hierarchy of needs being addressed there, isn't it? Like, you know, basics, I want a clean house, I want to be good for the environment, but also I want people to say, hey, what's that cool packaging you've got on your shelf there in this beautifully curated laundry and and kitchen? So, yeah, absolutely. And that's the key, isn't it, around tapping into more than just one sort of a functional but also an emotional benefit. And that's a really great example of consumer insight that has been very well delivered to. Mm, absolutely. Okay, so what about Patagonia, the global poster child of trailblazing in this area? Totally. I think that I mean they're so far ahead, aren't they? They're, they're years and decades ahead of everyone in terms of their sustainability journey. So absolutely, they should be looked at as the holy grail because they they created it. You know, they shaped what it, it looks like. They're at the point where they are talking with their suppliers of the raw materials that go into their clothing and their products and helping them create new ways to grow cotton and to cultivate cotton. Regenerative agriculture is where they're kind of thinking and where they're operating right now, which again is talking to scope one, scope two, scope three. It's like it's not directly related to them, but so much of what that raw material does comes into their product and is necessary. And so it's in their interest to help make that a better process and a more green process. I just think it's so exciting, so fascinating. Areas of science you wouldn't even comprehend that are directly uh, related to your business but potentially have such an impact, and it does. It allows them to engage better with their suppliers and therefore tell a better story to their customers, so an end-to-end success story, I think. Totally. So 
The Patagonia campaign, the don't buy this jacket campaign, which is, you know, should be taught in marketing schools yeah. on how to do marketing, yeah. was a stunt. This was a stunt. There's no way that this cannot be. They took out a full page in, I think it was the New York Times, and it literally said, do not buy this jacket. And not a single person called them out for virtue signaling, greenwashing, PR stunt, because it was genuine. And so that's a really interesting lesson for people as well, is that they come with so much credibility and authority in this space that it's literally their brand DNA that even something that is a little bit of a stunt, which was, you know, to generate awareness and publicity around this, was still very authentic because they genuinely did not want you to buy that jacket. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about their recycle program where if you have a Patagonia product, don't throw it away, you know, send it to them and, and it can be upcycled, recycled, you know, fixed. And so it just goes to show that if this is baked into your DNA, you can avoid those PC warriors because I think that there's a lot of people that will be listening going, oh, every brand is just going to have to have their five seconds of shame. That's just what's going to have to happen. Like, you know, everyone is going to get called out. That's call out culture. And that, I don't think that that's true. Mm, I agree. Yeah. If it's, if it's in there, it's in your DNA, you're, you're doing all the things uh, across the board and can stand up to that and have that argument. Absolutely. I think it's totally possible. And kind of that's the point right now is like, if you're saying you're purpose led and you are going to be sustainable, then JFDI, like do it properly, you know, do it holistically, take a good hard look at your entire business operation. And as marketers, I think that's one of the key opportunities is to really learn the ins and outs of the business, not to a level of technical expertise, but certainly enough that you've got an understanding of where the opportunity is for the brand and what story can be told from that legitimately. Yeah, totally. Gut Marketing is brought to you by Campaign Del Mar a marketing education platform for entrepreneurs. Master the fundamentals of marketing, nail your email marketing strategy, or join my signature program, Campaign Classroom, and learn how to create killer marketing campaigns. These are not the kind of online programs where you are left floundering, unsure how to put theory into practice. Nor will these programs sit unfinished for months. You can expect accountability, a supportive community, and to walk away with practical, real-world marketing skills. Learn more at campaigndelmar.com. So who are the not-so-good brands and what can we learn from them? Mm, mm. One that's been a little concerning to me at the moment is superannuation Hester as the brand. From a marketing campaign perspective, I think it's textbook. It's fantastic in terms of the channels, the messenger, the whole, the whole thing, you know, they've, they've got some great talent and it's, it's an excellent angle. The problem is the back of house. The message from Hester is encouraging people, new members to come across because changing your super can change the future. And that's their key line. And that, you know, that they can choose where their investments go and ethical, sustainable choices are available to them. It's highly problematic from a superannuation fund that still actively invests in 
new fossil fuels, existing fossil fuels and new fossil fuel projects with some of Australia's biggest fossil fuel providers. So that's something that's not being told in the whole campaign is come on over and join us. You can change the future, choose where your money goes. And that may well be the case. There are some ethical choices, but it doesn't paint the entire picture. It omits key information that could be detrimental to a huge decision. It's a massive decision to move your super. It's, for most people, the biggest chunk of money they have. So it's quite misleading and that's why I think it's problematic. Yeah, I agree. I don't care how good your campaign is. I've said this before, but marketing is not the job of polishing up a turd. Like (laughs) this is not about, yeah, that's not the business that I'm in. It's not in turd polishing. And so, no, I don't abide by marketing that isn't transparent and doesn't tell the truth and hides salient details that Mm. are really front and centre. Yes. No, that is very problematic. It's particularly problematic from and I'm not a financial advisor, obviously, this is huge financial kind of space for people. And that's a big decision that people don't, there's a lot of gap in knowledge. So if they're making a decision on their own without additional third party support to make that decision, expert support, it's taking advantage of people's lack of knowledge. And that's unethical in itself, but it's also problematic because yeah, that omission is crucial. If they're, if they're making an emotional decision to move their money to support sustainable, renewable investments, that's a piece of information that would help them make that decision better. And they might not choose then to go with that super fund on that basis. Exactly. That's the point is that, you know, this is one of those like disclaimers that could have changed people's minds about this and you left it out. So yeah. um, no, no good. That's yeah. not okay. Yeah. 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 So a slightly different example of a brand who has not done this well recently is Mercedes-Benz, the auto manufacturer. There was an, a recent article in Adweek, which I will include in the show notes below, And they were really called out for greenwashing. Again, they used stunning imagery of nature and the campaign tagline was nothing or nature. And it was just, I don't particularly like this campaign. It was very egotistical. Yes. What they were trying to say was that the Mercedes-Benz symbol so the, the triangle symbol naturally occurs in nature so often and here it is that we've spotted it in caves and we've spotted it in ice what sorry Mel what is what's the point of showing <laughs> us that their logo which is essentially a triangle appears in nature like and so I guess it's trying to show that yeah Mercedes-Benz cares about nature because it has released an electric car 30 years after they should have released an electric mm, car. Mm. So this is a different example to Hester because this is not so much about leaving out details, but this is about overclaiming, right? Yeah, yeah, overstating your position in the place. And, I, I mean, it's kind of on brand for Mercedes, isn't it, to be ego first and status mm. and, you know, that's that's very much their positioning. But you're right, it's a complete overstatement about their role to play so late to the party and it would be exciting if they were doing more about the infrastructure around supporting electric vehicles because that's actually one of the key challenges so you know actually entry level being able to purchase an EV is 
pretty expensive and Mercedes would be absolutely up there. But the infrastructure around it is the other is the other challenge. So I think, you know, if there was a bigger story there about how they were looking to support that and move all of that across or how they were changing their entire business operation and not just purchasing carbon offsets to do that, then that might be the time to tell that story, but certainly not to take a a leadership position (laughs) and and purport to be leading the charge and embedded in nature because that, I mean, they're not. This is a classic example of a campaign idea that a marketing team would have just loved because it featured their logo and oh our logo our beloved logo (laughs) it's the logo in nature like what a romantic story that would have been sold up the up the chain with like precision it would have been i i can see those meetings happening you know so so yay but bad times for actually being able to support the the full story here and just the overstatement of the role in in the sustainability story i think it's a little bit vomit worthy yeah and honestly i feel like could have been solved by talking to one single person outside the organization that doesn't (laughs) hasn't drunk the mercedes-benz kool-aid to go actually we don't really care so much about logos in fact you know what that is such a key point is the that getting outside of your own brand bubble that's crucial right now that we are as marketers and brand custodians obsessed with our brand and we think everyone else has that same level of obsession newsflash no, they fucking don't. They don't. And so it's our job to explore the landscape further, look at examples in completely different categories, consume media that we would normally never consume so that we can get a full picture about actually what the heck is going on in the world and how can we actually play a credible role in this and and build our strategy, not just a marketing campaign that will give us a tick on a sustainability claim once off. Yes. Yes. Yes to a marketplace of ideas. Do you know what's really interesting about a Mercedes-Benz example as well, I thought was really interesting, is that the agency is copying flack, which is mm, Leo Burnett. Yeah. Yes. And this has been something I've been pondering for a while, right? Because I say I am a healthy granola brand and I go to a marketing agency and I say, hey, I'm a healthy granola brand please create a campaign for me based on health credentials. And then the agency will say, great, what are your health credentials? The client supplies those in a document, but the creative agency, marketing agency doesn't have a lab to go and test the granola for, you know, are these claims true? And so there's a bit of trust that needs to happen between the client and the agency that these credentials are legit. And for a long time, the agencies and the marketers and the brand custodians have been given a a hall pass for that reason, which is like, well, you know, you're just marketers. Mm -hmm. You can't possibly know. (laughs) You can't possibly know. So you're just doing what your brief told you to do. But now there's some real blowback and Leo Burnett doesn't want to be in this. And I don't, I'm a bit torn because, you know, Mercedes-Benz would be a huge account for Leo Burnett and, they might have raised concerns about this to Mercedes-Benz and Mercedes-Benz were like, no, this is, sounds good. Where do you stand on that? You, you raised the point before about the knowing and the responsibility, who's, who's actually responsible. We are all responsible. A granola bar might be slightly different to 
cars. <laughs> and, the, you know, so Leo Burnett know that cars are bad because they use fuel that is fossil fuel and that's bad. <laughs> so there's that. Of course, there's trust. This is why it's important that marketers actually understand their responsibility to, to know truly what's happening with the total picture of their operation. So learn what's happening in your operation so you understand the ins and outs and can give truthful briefs to your creative partners probably step one. Also, there's a movement around agencies taking responsibility for the stories that they're telling because they are great storytellers. They are the best. World-leading agencies are freaking fantastic at it, but they have a responsibility to work with and elevate the voices of brands that are actually helping. And there's a whole movement, you know, there was a recent protest at the, the latest Cannes Festival about advertisers not, you know, working with fossil fuel and to actually take climate action seriously by refusing to give them a voice and it's hard to say no to the money <laughs> it's very hard for those big agencies to say no to those retainers because they're very healthy but ultimately they're not very healthy if they're going to help destroy the world yeah I've actually experienced this quite recently on the front line because I have been working on the social media campaign for the Darwin Festival and the major sponsor of Darwin Festival for many years is Santos. And in previous years, the community has kind of given Darwin Festival a bit of a hall pass for having Santos as the major sponsor because a lot of what Darwin Festival does is free community events that, you know, wouldn't be possible without corporate sponsorship. And we're also in Darwin, which is a very small population. But this year, after the election that we've had, and because of the climate emergency, we are getting a lot of blowback. And as someone on the social media front line of this, it's relentless. And it's really, really hard, Mel, because part of me is saying, well, without Santos and Inpex, there wouldn't be Darwin Festival, not the way that people can experience it now, which is to go to the Darwin Amphitheatre with 4,000 people and watch a First Nations incredible performance that tells the story of Grummel's final album that was completely free. So that wouldn't be possible. But then exactly as you said, we're giving voice to climate wreckers. And so I don't, yeah, it's very tricky. Do you have any... Oh, I mean, if I had the solution, I'd, I'd be out there. But it's murky. It's really murky. I think we have to challenge ourselves to think differently about, and I don't know if it's possible to have Darwin Festival without them as a major sponsor, but what if it was? And what could be the way to achieve that? And what sort of community levers and collaboration could be pulled together to make it happen in a way that was owned and embedded in community as opposed to uh, a PR exercise for a major climate wrecker. I don't know. There's, I think the time is now to challenge our existing thinking around that and there's buckets of money there. I get that. That's, that's huge. But we need to rethink our delivery of experiences and our delivery of products and services in a way that we can sleep at night <laughs> and tell our grandchildren that these are the things that, you know, this is how we changed and how, how amazing was it to change something that felt like an institution. Mm. Okay, so I've got some arguments on either side. So the arguments on one side are that, like, it's not Darwin Festival's job to, to you know, 
end fossil fuels and we're using those fossil fuels as well, mind mm. you. So we mm. are using mm. them. And yeah. so since these organisations have tons of money, why not use that for positive good, which is to pour it straight back into community and into the arts, right? So I get that. I get that argument and that's a bit of a like, okay, well, like, yeah, they're not doing the right thing. So let's take their money and do some of the right thing with their money. So Mm. I I definitely see that. But then on the other hand, being on the social media front line, we have had many people say to us, they are not coming to Darwin Festival this year because of this reason. And it's only going to grow. So if you're not going to do it because of the moral imperative, do it for the business imperative as well, because, you know, this year, it's not going to change next year. It's just going to get worse next year. So if, if I, and this is way beyond my pay grade, but if (laughs) I was further up the chain in Darwin Festival, I would say, look, I I feel like the tide has changed here and we Mm -hmm. are going to lose hearts and minds if we continue with this anymore. So I think there's going to be more of a revolution come 2023 on this issue. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And yeah, I can see the same challenges, of course. (laughs) I can see both sides of that argument, but it comes down, you know, in the purest sense, what do my sponsor partners say about my brand and what does my brand say about them? And there is a relationship there always in sponsorships like that. Do I want to be associated with that brand and their messaging and their operation? Yes, no. (laughs) How does this brand elevate mine? If at all, yes, no. (laughs) It doesn't. Therefore, what is the actual value of this outside of monetary? I think that's another challenge is to consider beyond just funding, what is the potential damage and the difference between that? Is it worth it? Totally. All right, well, we could talk about this all day, but we are (laughs) completely out of time. And also my kids have let me know that they are now home and (laughs) that requires my undivided attention. Any final thoughts, Mel? I think just in terms of what we can do as marketers, just act, act ethically and responsibly, educate yourself, talk to customers, talk to suppliers, understand how your business works so that you can leverage that to your advantage, empathise with everybody, the 360 degree of uh, stakeholders involved in your business directly and indirectly, and also embed a culture of sustainability, just like marketing is actually not just the role of the marketing department or function in a business. It's the same with sustainability. It can't be. It is. It has to be holistic and embraced across the board. And so I would urge all marketers to be champions of that so that we can be bringing our brands profitably and sustainably into a future that we can all live in. Oh, so beautifully said. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Melissa Packham. And I will drop a link to your website and your social media handles below. But thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Mia. Thank you. You listened right up until the end. So why not hit that subscribe button and keep the good marketing rolling? Podcast reviews are like warm hugs and they're also the best way to support a small business. You can connect with me, Mia Feilman, on Instagram or LinkedIn and feel free to send me a message. I'm super friendly.